haunted mayhem. And welcome to Haunted Mayhem. I'm your host, Brandy Nicole, here to share all the spooky true crime that haunts many to this day. So, how was everyone's holiday? Loving and cozy, I hope. But let's be real. Probs a little chaotic, a lot stressful, and plenty of drama. I know that's how my family can roll. Don't get me wrong, there are good times that I cherish. But I seriously think I strained my eye muscles from all the eye rolling and all the wide-eyed, are you freaking serious strains. Lots of naps happen between Christmas and New Year's. I will say that. So originally, Haunted Mayhem was supposed to be back for its first episode premiere of 2024 on January 10th. But looking ahead at the schedule, I had to adjust to offset my son's busy therapy weeks. So here we are, January 17th, and ready to roll for 2024. Hey! Speaking of ready to roll, it seems like Mother Nature is also on a roll, and I don't like it at all. As beautiful as winter is, <laughs> this Arkansas gal is over it. And it appears to just be getting started. Being someone who suffers from MS, which is hella bad during winter. And if you suffer from any, anything like MS, fibromyalgia, you know what I'm talking about. It sucks. But I'm also very warm natured, having grown up in the South. These Arctic temps can go back North. Okay. I've taken all the pretty pictures, admired the quiet of the falling snow. Son, it's your time to do your thing and fight back. Let's heat this bitch up. I will say the downtime has been great though. And I've got plenty to talk about over in the recommendations corner. So let's walk that way. Okay. A recent book that I read, um, it really, really stuck home with me. Um, it is fiction, but it also had that element of truth to it. And I loved how the author's incorporated it. It made you really think about the past. Um, and that book is Night of the Witch by Sarah Roche and Beth Revis. This book is just wow. Okay. I know there's been some others who have left reviews. It was like, eh, it really hit with me and I highly recommend it. Um, I did read other titles over the break, but this one was just, it just, still with me. Um, so it happened during the European witch trials in the 1500s. Uh, the authors did add some snippets from history at the back of the book and how many women were faced with death during this time at the stake. Yeah. Like burned to death. And it was just, Oh, it was so gut wrenching. Like really? So all it took was one person getting pissed and accusing another person of witchcraft and literally the church would murder them for you or hey it's a small market you've got two bread makers joe blow over there is making more money than me i need to take his customers he's a witch dead 
burned at the stake because it wasn't always just women. Um, there were a few men that were accused of witchcraft, although it was very rare. It was mostly women, women who had lost their husband and didn't remarry fast enough or women who had a green thumb or just women who were pissed at other women. Cause let's face it. That's been a lifelong thing. Women not being pissed at each other. Oh my God. Um, Sarah and Beth did weave these facts into a beautiful tale of resilience and strength of community. Not everyone agreed with the church. There were common marketplace residents and farmers who lived in fear of being blamed for witchcraft and kept their heads down. I don't blame them. Um, like I said, it was just as easy as saying they're doing witchcraft and you were burnt at the stake the next day. Um, yeah, I'd probably keep my mouth shut too, but they didn't necessarily agree with the church. So until they were given the chance to fight back, that's when things began to change. Um, so, you know, we got a tale of women fighting back, the community fighting back, and it's just horrific. And it really gives a, uh, you know, a, a great view of someone who's fixing to be burnt at the stake and how they escape, how the community rallies behind them. And it's just gripping. And I highly recommend it. Again, that's Night of the Witch by Sarah Roche and Beth Revis. Uh, movie recommendation. So this is a little far out there. But, you know, we were, <laughs> we were going through Christmas and it was stressful. And I was like, I really just need a good heartwarming laugh just something fun and it was maybe not we're like oh what do we want to do what do we want to go see and you know it was after christmas and there was all these new movies out and i was just like let's watch something fun and cute so i convinced my husband who is a trooper and i love him so much to go see migration um if you're not familiar with this, it's an illumination movie and it's based on a family of ducks who have never migrated before. And they go on this great little adventure and it's, it's just fun. And we all went, the five of us went and then we invited my brother and his wife and my nephews and we just made a thing of it. And it was so fun. And I was laughing at parts sometimes so, so hard that <laughs> my stomach hurt. It was great. It, it brought back memories from when we used to take our, our now teenagers to the movies when they were kids. And I appreciate my husband for being like, he, at the end of the movie, he was chuckling and he was like, oh, that was great. But I cannot believe you talked me into coming and watching a cartoon. And I was like, but you loved it though. And he did. So if you, if you just need a heartwarming movie that takes you back to your childhood days or your time with your children or your nieces and nephews, whatever, I highly recommend Migration. It's funny, it's cute, and it's just heartwarming. Okay, uh, podcast recommendations. Let's see what's going on on Once Upon a Podcast. So, uh, there's a few things that's taken place over... We had a few that took holiday breaks like I did. Um, new episodes that are out right now is on... On Pause Life, Stacy and Jen discuss their new year and new tattoos that they got. Hey, love me a tattoo. 
I've actually got an appointment coming up. So excited. So give them a listen. See what kind of tattoos they got. See what's going to go on this year. Check it out. Uh, season eight of Excelsior Journeys podcast is off and running. And the first episode features two veterans of both entertainment and sports entertainment. Dr. Chris Whaley and Mike McC- McClaskey. Probably should have looked that name up, but I think it's McClaskey. Anyway, give it a listen. You can hear it for yourself. And then on Starlight Tea, the ladies have a new cosmic tea party with Awesome's residence astrologer Jackie Sab to discuss Aquarius season because we are in Aquarius season. And the reason I know that is because my husband is in Aquarius. All right. It's time to shift gears and move on to why we are here. The murder and the mayhem that followed. All right. It's time to shift gears and move on to why we're really here. The murder and the mayhem that followed. On this episode, I'm going to be discussing a disturbing case. Okay. Just a warning. Um, most of us can't even fathom this is real, but it is, and it will send shock down your spine because it did mine. This week, I'm going to talk about Mary Bell, the 10 year old serial killer. Yes, you heard that right. 10 years old. My sources for this episode are from All That's Interesting, the UK Chronicle Live, and the biography of Mary Bell. So here we go. In 1968, Mary Bell of Newcastle, England, was only 10 years old when she strangled her first victim, a four-year-old named Martin Brown, then left haunting confession notes for his family. Two months later, Bell killed and mutilated a three-year-old named Brian Howe. Meanwhile, she tried to strangle several other children and made it clear in her notes that she wanted to keep killing. She wasn't able to, however, after police quickly apprehended her. Having committed her crimes at a shockingly young age, Mary Bell was still just 23 years old when she was released from prison after serving a 12-year sentence for the two killings. Ever since, she's walked free. This is the disturbing story of Mary Bell. Mary Bell was born on May 26, 1957. To Betty McCricket, a 16-year-old sex worker who reportedly told doctors to take that thing away from me when she saw her daughter. That's warm and lovely, isn't it? If anything, this tells you what's to come for Mary Bell. Not that I'm trying to make you feel sympathetic for her, but it really sets the scene for her life and why her thoughts may have become so twisted. Anyway, things went down there, downhill from there for Mary Bell. McCricket was often away from home on business trips to Glasgow, but her absence were periods of respite for young Mary, who was subject to mental and physical abuse when her mother was present. So, you know, you have a mother who is like, no, thank you. I don't want that demon child. And then she treats her like crap. So, and when she doesn't, isn't treating her like crap, she's not there. So, McCricket's sister witnessed her trying to give Mary away to a woman who had been unsuccessfully trying to adopt. The sister quickly recovered Mary herself. Question, 
why did the sister not just take Mary and be like, hey, your mom is crazy. Let old auntie here raise you. But no, we're going to give you back to mom who just tried to give you away. Okay. Mary was also strangely accident prone. She once fell from a window and she accidentally overdosed on sleeping pills on another occasion. Let's see. Mom doesn't want her. Mom's never home. Mom tried to give her away. Then she starts having accidents. Okay. According to later accounts given by Mary Bell herself, her mother began to use her for sex work when she was just four years old. Though this remains, you know, untrue. You know, there's no account for it by anyone besides Mary Bell herself. But if it is true, dear Jesus, why didn't somebody take her away from her mother? I mean, there were so many signs of abuse. Why did this woman get to keep her? I mean, poor, I mean, no wonder Mary was twisted. There was so much for that little girl to face. Oh, and if that was, if this was true, that she had to begin sex work at four years old, how can you not become a little twisted? Anyway, still, still doesn't, you know, make it okay, but the poor girl needed help and nobody was helping her. So she went crazy. Um, they do know, however, that Mary's young life had already been marked by lost. She had seen her five-year-old friend run over and killed by a bus. So let's just keep adding to poor Mary's life. She's been through all this. Now her, her friend has been killed and ran over and that's, that's horrific. I mean, even as an adult, I can't even handle that. Poor Mary. Poor Mary. Okay, given all that happened, it did not surprise them that by age 10, Mary Bell had become a strange child withdrawn and manipulative, always hovering on the edge of violence. Not that I blame her. I, well, okay, I don't blame her. And there was nobody to guide her to not go too crazy. But I can understand especially at that young of an age, not understanding what the hell is going on. Why is life so terrible? Um, it's also hard when nobody's like trying to help you cope with it. And obviously she just was prone to violence because that's all she's seen was violence. Um, but there's a lot that people just did not know for weeks before her first murder, Mary Bell had been acting strangely. On May 11th, 1968, Mary had been playing with a three-year-old boy when he was badly injured in a fall from the top of an air raid shelter. His parents thought it was an accident. Mm. The following day, three mothers came forward to tell police that Mary had attempted to choke their young daughters. A brief police interview and a lecture resulted, but no charges were filed. I mean, you would have thought a little finger pointing and you know better young lady would have worked, but I guess not. Uh, on, then on May 25th, the day before she turned 11, Mary Bell strangled four-year-old Martin Brown to death in an abandoned house in Scottswood, England. She left the scene and returned with a friend, Norma Bell, no relation, to find they'd been beaten there by local boys who had been playing in the house and stumbled upon the body police were mystified 
Besides a bit of blood and saliva on the victim's face, there were no apparent signs of violence. There was, however, an empty bottle of painkillers on the floor near the body. Huh. Who had been subjected to painkillers before? Mary. Without further clues, police assumed Martin Brown had swallowed the pills. They ruled his death an accident. That was very smart on Mary's behalf, by the way, to make it look like an accident with the pill bottle and stuff because of what she went through before. But it's also a little drenched, especially for a 10-year-old. Um, days after Martin's death, Mary Bell appeared on the Brown's doorstep and asked to see him. His mother gently explained that Martin was dead. But Mary already knew this. She wanted to see his body in the coffin. A little horrified, Martin's mother slammed the door in her face, as she should. Uh, shortly after, Mary and her friend Norma broke into a nursery school and vandalized it with notes taking responsibility for Martin Brown's death and promising to kill again. Police assumed the notes were a morbid prank. For the nursery school, this was just the latest and most disturbing in a series of break-ins. Why are we breaking into a nursery school? Okay, whatever. Um, after this, they installed an alarm system. Still don't understand why we're breaking into a nursery school and why it was why there was a series of them. But anyway, um, guess what? The killings were not over for Mary. And even though she got a slap on the wrist for breaking into the nursery and she was told by a pointy finger in a lecture not to be hurting kids again she continued to hurt kids obviously on july 31st two months after the first murder mary bell and her friend norma killed three-year-old brian howe by strangulation this time though bell takes it a step further and whatever made her do this you know i i kind of fear for her childhood too but Belle decided to mutilate Brian's body with scissors, scratching his thighs and butchering his penis, which kind of makes me think like, if you look at all the facts on serial, like, you know, people who have been um, sexually assaulted or abused in their childhood, they, they when they kill or what, they mutilate genital areas um, out of anger. So by her, you know, butchering his penis, it kind of gives a sign that maybe her allegations that she was forced into sex work when she was four may have some truth to it. It's just a little, you know, view with the psych side of things, but there's a clear indication. Anyway, when Brian's sister went looking for him, Mary and Norma offered to help. Oh, how terrible of them. They searched the neighborhood and Mary even pointed out the concrete blocks that hid his body. But Norma said he wouldn't be there. Like she freaked out. She's like, no, no, he's not there. Are you crazy? Um, Brian's sister hesitated, but she did eventually move on. Something that will later haunt her. When Brian's body was finally found, the neighborhood panicked. Two little boys were now dead. Police interviewed local children, hoping someone had seen something that would lead to a suspect. They were shocked when the coroner's report returned. As Brian's blood had cooled, new marks appeared on his chest. Someone had used a razor blade to scratch the letter M onto his torso. 
That doesn't look so good for Mary. And there was another disturbing note. The lack of force in the attack suggested Brian's killer might have been a child. Mary and Norma did a poor job of disguising their interest in the investigation. I mean, they are like 10 and 12 or 11 and 12. But anyway, they, um, their lack of interest in the investigation and in their interviews with the police, Norma was excited and Mary evasive, especially when police pointed out that she had been seen with Brian Howe on the day of his death. This is where Mary Bell would ultimately mess up and get caught. I mean, she is a child. She got away with the first murder because who could believe a child was capable of such a thing? Unlike an adult, though, Mary Bell was excited like a kid at Christmas. Girl talked too much. On the day of Brian's burial, Mary was spotted lurking outside his house. She even laughed and rubbed her hands together when she saw his coffin. Okay, look, I can so see like the scariest horror movie playing out in my mind right now. And children killers are really scary. <laughs> okay. They called Mary back for a second interview. And Mary, perhaps sensing investigators were closing in, made up a story about having seen an eight-year-old boy hit Brian on the day he died. But here's where they get her. The boy, she said, had been carrying a pair of scissors. That was Mary Bell's big mistake. The mutilation of the body with scissors had been kept from the press and the public. It was a detail known only to investigators and one other person, Brian's murderer. At the trial, the prosecutors told the court that Mary Bell's reason for committing the murders was solely for the pleasure and excitement of killing. <sighs> Meanwhile, the British press referred to the child murderer as evil born. And you know... Maybe, maybe not, but I'm thinking the circumstances in which she was raised come to help that evil born child become the person that she was. The jury agreed that Mary Bell had committed the murders and handed down a guilty verdict in December. Manslaughter, not murder, was the conviction as court psychiatrists had convinced the jury that Mary Bell showed classic symptoms of psychopathy. Really? And she could not be held fully responsible for her actions. I mean, I can, she did have some classic symptoms. I'm just like, like the, the whole giggling thing. Lock her up, lock her up now. Uh, Norma Bell was regarded as an unwilling accomplice who had fallen under a bad influence. Hmm. She was acquitted. I'm not quite sure. I believe that Norma was older. And went along with it, even laughing along with Mary like a little psychopath herself. She even tried lying. That doesn't seem so unwilling to me. But, you know, opinions, opinions. Anyway, apparently the powers that be were impressed with Mary Bell's treatment and rehabilitation after 12 years. And they let her out in 1980. She was released on license, which meant that she was technically still serving her sentence but was able to do so while living in the community under strict probation. It will later turn out that strict probation wouldn't be that strict. After years of harassment from reporters, Mary Bell and her daughter was placed in protective custody. Mary Bell had a daughter four years after she was, yeah, four years after she was released from prison. 
and you know reporters just harassed the shit out of her and um, her daughter actually didn't know nothing about her mother's twisted past until they finally showed up on her doorstep one day and was like tell us what happened what led you to this and her daughter was like what and they both ended up in protective custody so um both of both her and her daughter remain anonymous and are protected under court order some feel she doesn't deserve the protection hmm especially june richardson the mother of martin brown she told the media it's all about her and how she has to be protected as victims we are not given the same rights as killers Mm. you know that is a sad truth the murderers whether in prison or free to roam often get more attention than the victims i mean they do they make money off their horrors um now there are certain cases like uh okay recently gypsy rose was released you know yay for her i'm so glad that she's gonna get to live a life after serving time for what she did could she have handled it better i mean yeah but when when the site breaks it breaks and uh, she felt like she didn't have at the time she felt like she didn't have any other way to get away from her brother um besides murdering her which she did with the help of her boyfriend um but uh and i i know she lives i've seen some documentaries she just lives with that regret and she has made some money off of it a lot of fame and i'm hoping that in her case the attention that she's got from that will not only help her fight for others who's in her situation because it is a common problem there are more people that go through that than we can even begin to realize but I also hope that, you know, it helps her start her life on a good, on a good note. You know, um, this, the release of her release from prison is a new chapter for her. It's a new beginning. Um, she's actually going to get to live life, but for those jackasses who fucking, killed people and didn't give a shit because they just done it for fun or for sport um they don't deserve a goddamn penny they deserve to rot and but they will they'll make more money than the victims their names will get talked more people will actually know who they are and like how many kills they've had and what they've done and and you don't remember the victims names you don't remember their families. They get nothing except for nightmares, tears, all of it. I mean, maybe one of them might write a book, go on some documentaries, but what are they actually getting? There are funds for serial killers, like Monty, so they can fight for their lives to get what? And like, we know their names. What about the victims' names? So I get why June Richardson would say this. We are not given the same rights as killers. And we don't give them the same rights because the story, the the victim stories, oh, well, that's sad. We get hung up on, ooh, why, where, what? But I think all the, but we should reevaluate this and all the money that is set aside for killers should be like given to the families of the victims. Just saying. Anyway. 
Um, indeed, Mary Bell remains protected by the British government today, and court rulings protecting the identities of certain convicts are even unofficially referred to as the Mary Bell Orders. So you may be wondering, okay, this story sucks, and it's shocking, and it is haunting, but is there a haunted part to it? Yes. So do you remember Brian's sister? The one that they, that Norma and Mary were like, oh, we'll go help you find your brother. Little psychos. Well, here's what she had to say about the incident 50 years later. She definitely stole my childhood and my sister's. I think it just became normal to me and my sister. We just had to deal with it and get on with it. Sharon, a catering manager, said, I do sometimes think about her. I don't want to know where she is, but sometimes when someone says she is somewhere, I think at least that means she's not in Newcastle. We don't know what she looks like. We could pass her in the street and not know. She can walk around like a ghost, and if she does something wrong, they will just change her identity. And we as taxpayers are paying for that. It's never been about our family. It's always been about Mary Bell. Yes, the sad truth. Sharon went on to say, I've been haunted by the feeling of my brother's presence that day. I hesitated, not far from where they found him. He was there. He was crying out to me to find him, and I just walked away. That memory is raw and chilling, especially every time her name is whispered. Uh, I, I can understand where Sharon's coming with that, like, she hesitated. She felt her brother's friend, but I still don't think that that's fair that Mary made her is, has made her live with that her whole life. And she's been haunted by that because she didn't know she did. I mean, she didn't even know her brother was dead and yeah, she had this weird feeling, but she was just a child herself and Sharon, let that go, girl. It's not your fault. I understand that it could be like, Oh, well he was right there, but honey, he was already dead. As sad as, as, you know, raw and true and, you know, hurtful as that is, he was. And like, sometimes we hold on to the most haunting things that we shouldn't. And Sharon, honey, you don't deserve to hang on to that. Um, so there it is. That's the spine chilling story of Mary Bell, the youngest known serial killer. Ah, I mean... It's crazy. All right. Let's get away from the creepy child killing corner and switch gears to your hometown haunts. I had so many emails to go through since coming back from holiday break. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to write to me. And let your stories be told. I love them all. And it's always so hard for me to choose. Like I could just sit here and read them all and be happy. But I'm going to save some for another episode. But the one I chose this week is kind of crazy. Um, It's a little long, but I love it. And hopefully you will too. All right. Starts greetings. Crawford Road is this long road that goes through the woods that's supposedly haunted and the scariest part of the road is this underpass. There's a few stories, so I'll list all the ones I know 
And I'll also throw in a personal experience. Yay. One, a black woman threw her baby off the bridge while on the run from the KKK so that they wouldn't be able to kill it themselves. Oh my gosh, that's so heartbreaking. <laughs> uh, two, there's a possibility that if you drive there, you'll see a person hanging from the bridge. Three, there's an abandoned asylum slash building in the woods off the road where witchcraft is involved. Ew. Four, there's a ghost police car. Story is that a police officer was killed there in the 70s. I think that's an official fact. I could be wrong, but not too unbelievable, nevertheless. And people driving there could see a 70s Chevy police car following them, and the ghost of the officer is trying to get you to leave the road. Oh, well, that's creepy. Aren't police officers supposed to, like, save you, not kill you? Uh, let's see. Five. Sometimes if you drive under the bridge, it'll be completely blood red. I've never seen it though. And I just think they're talking about the heavy graffiti that's on it. I mean, yeah. Okay. I can see that. Six. If you park under the bridge at night, your car will be pushed. Wait, what? Pushed how? Like pushed around? Oh my gosh. That'd be crazy. Okay. Now for my personal experience, me and three other friends were into ghost hunting and things of that nature. Me too. Not anything like hardcore investigators. We just thought it was fun to go to creepy places and bring a voice recorder and see if some creepy EVP will show up by any slim chance. So since we knew about how popular the road is, seriously, Google it. It'll pop up and read for yourself. Okay, now I'm going to have to do that. We decided to drive to the bridge park under it, get out, and try for voice recordings. All at 12 a.m. As the hour of all fun things. We also put baby powder along the sides of the car. <laughs> I love that. Specifically on parts where you would put your hands like the bumper, hood, and windows. We did the EVPs, nothing. Get back in the van, drive off, pull into the nearest parking lot with light, fingerprints, show up on bumpers and sides of the rear window a forensic investigator could probably prove some log logical reason as to why fingerprints showed up instead of settling straight to, to ghosts but all we know is that we were extra careful to not touch anywhere near the baby powder the only thing i rationally fear about that road are actual crazy people that can harm you but still it's always so eerie when you see it as you drive up on it Every time we just so happen to be around the area, we'll drive down that road just for fun. And there's still that feeling of anxiety and excitement of maybe seeing something each time. Love the show. Lots of love, Lee. Oh my gosh, Lee. That is so fun. And I would so be riding shotgun in your van with baby powder in hand, looking for an eerie time. So fun. Love it. Thanks for riding in. So do you have a hometown haunt to share? A murder gone wrong? An urban legend that haunts your town? A crazy grandpa who sits and tells fables that could be true? Who's to say? Send them in and let them be heard. Brandy at brandynicole.com I hope you've enjoyed this first episode of 2024. Until next time, friends. Bye! Thank you
haunted mayhem.